Hey guys, welcome back to the Champions of Change podcast. I'm your girl, Scarlett Martinez, Senior Director of Empowerment at Rise, and I'm joined by the lovely, impeccable Gwendolyn Berry, two-time Olympic champion. Gwen, say hi to the people. Hey guys, hey guys, how y'all doing today? And we are coming off, y'all, Super Bowl, okay? Clearly, y'all hearing my voice, it took me out. But right. Super Bowl was epic. <laughs> Gwen, how about them Chiefs, Okay. How about them Chiefs? It was an amazing game, amazing experience. Patrick Mahomes did his thing at the end. But shout out to Jalen Hurts because still in Jalen Hurts, I trust. <laughs> Girl, well, your trust was misplaced, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I mean, it, uh, the culture won, I think, that night, you know. Absolutely. So many firsts. We talk about, you know, the first time two Black quarterbacks get to perform on that stage at the same time. But let's talk about the ladies, right? The assistant coach over at the Eagles. Um, yes. Jalen Hurts, you know, agent. So many powerful women of color stepping up, making an impact and leaving their print on the game. I was here for it. I felt, you know, exhilarated, empowered, all of the things. Um, So it was an amazing Super Bowl on all fronts. For the purpose of this podcast i'm also super excited gwen at the amount of leaders we got to talk to amount of players current and former even yes. a commissioner in there sis okay yes we had, had a commissioner come and pull up it was <laughs> we, amazing ex-commissioner pulled up girl we're not playing out here okay yes. um and i'm super excited for everyone to hear these conversations because it's so important gwen i mean you as an athlete know you were there gwen at the champions of change experience we had close to five thousand people come check us out yes um, it was epic what was some of your favorite parts you know with the athlete interviews that we did i feel like for me my favorite parts about the athlete interviews was not only that the athletes some of them brought their families and their and their passion and their and their joy and energy but also just the topics that we discussed so mental health building community being an ally you know things like being more than an athlete you know, life after the pros. I feel like those messages are so impactful and inspiring. These guys came out, they showed out, they came yeah. through <laughs> us. Um, and I just really want to specifically think, you know, Antoine Wesley, Kelvin Beecham, uh, Picasso Nelson Jr. We also had Ryan Mundy. We had Joe Briggs. No, we had Coda Martin. Yeah, we had ex-commissioner Paul Tigerboo. Yeah, um, <laughs> and show out um you know a big thanks right I think I mentioned Sheldon Day uh big thanks to these guys for taking the time out coming out sharing their stories um sharing their platform and really supporting it and and showing up for the community yeah. for the culture Absolutely. we need Absolutely. them we need y'all we need more folks to come out and really show all the different ways that athletes impact us and how they lead in our communities. You know, we got elections coming up in 2024. We need, it's going to take all of us. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's going to take all of us with and without the Jersey on. Right. Yep. In and, in and out of the sport. In and out of the sport. On and off the field. Um, yep. You know, what will you do once you hang up that number? What will yep. you need in your community? These guys, these interviews we did, tell us just that, who they are in their community, how they're pushing it forward. We're talking about Black History Month. You know, this is our last episode for Black History Month this this month. And I find no other better way to commemorate the month, celebrate people of color, celebrate Black men, 
Yes. Like, show Absolutely. black men in positive lights and allies in positive lights, right? Right. What can we do? Because it's going to take all of us to make a difference, make an impact. And I'm super excited, Gwen, for everyone to hear the this episode. It's going to be a um, culmination of multiple conversations that we had during yeah. Change Week. Uh, and again, hearing just strong Black men leading, thriving, succeeding, and bringing their community along for a ride. So, all right. So first up is our interview with Joe Briggs, former NFLPA lawyer. That's the NFL Players Association, Gwen. He's a current Georgetown professor, so the man got the brain, okay? Yeah, I mean, and I loved his interview. It was really interesting learning about the NFLPA and how they support their players by creating inclusive environments for their players. Yeah, I know, super dope. So let's hear it. And again, make sure that you follow us on the gram, on Twitter, uh, hear this episode, and drop in the comments. What did you think? What do you want to hear from Joe? Anything that stuck out to you? Anything that you want me and Gwen to ask next time? Without further ado, here's Joe Briggs. So uh, I'm a guy who happened to play football a little bit and then ended up working in football for a lot longer than most NFL careers. Um, my name is Joe Briggs. You can follow me on most social media at Joe Briggs ESQ. Uh, I was a lawyer at the NFL Players Association for 16 years after having a championship career at Texas Christian University. And then my football career was cut short. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later. Awesome. Wow. NFL PA lawyer. What does that entail, Joe? What do you do there? What I mean, yeah, I, I don't have any clue. And I'm sure a lot of people that are going to be listening to this probably don't know all the nuances. Can you is there anything that you can share? I don't know how NDAs or whatever. Um, is there anything that you can share with us? Wow. So uh, what the NFLPA is, right? So first, football is a sport that has players playing for owners and they negotiate contracts that they play under, right? And your contract sets up the boundaries of like how much money each individual will make. But there is a group above those player contracts called the NFL Players Association came into existence in 1957 and have been fighting for the players' rights, working conditions, and wages for the last over 60 years, now 64, 65, almost 66, 67 years we've been in existence. Uh, I worked at the NFLPA until last October, uh, but during my time between 2006 and 2022, I helped negotiate three collective bargaining agreements which set up the parameters of how the NFL and the NFLPA would work uh, and also how much money would be available for players. So over that course, over that time, 16 years, about 150 to $200 billion worth of revenue flowed through the game of football. About 50% of that came in player contracts, meaning compensation directly to players. My job as a lawyer at the NFLPA was to make sure that their contracts were valued, that their contracts were protected, and that if there was any conflict between the contract and what the NFL thought should happen, that someone was there to stand in the gap for the players. I've been fighting for players my whole life. Let's get into that. Yes, fights. Joe, so this is me just, just thinking, because this is really interesting to me. Um, fighting for players your whole life, right? Um, in, in the contract negotiations. What are some resources or things that you have helped put in place for players? Like I think about like mental health. I think about, um, you know, different like empowering things that players need, right? You know, uh, culturalization, right? You're getting people from all over the country, different communities. They're coming into this like beast of a league. There's pomps or circumstances. There's protocols. There's all these things. 
what's kind of like the player education on that end? So there's so much player education that people outside of the sport don't realize, and they don't even understand how the safety and health of players at every level of football is influenced by what we do at the NFL. So when I came into football, playing football myself as a college athlete, we had two-a-days, we had padded practice four days a week. We were practicing and bumping heads all the time. And then most of the people that are watching this have probably seen concussions. They've seen the movie around concussion. They've seen the change in the way concussions happen. One of the biggest things that the NFLPA did was influence the NFL to say that we need to cut down the number of practices that we have. We need to get away from two-a-day practices in the preseason. We need to only have 14 padded practices over the course of an entire NFL season. And that cut down the number of opportunities players had to get a concussion. So that made the game innately more safe at the professional level and then started to trickle down to the college level that even now in Little League football, they take up those same things. We've made improvements in the helmet. We've made improvements in the medical staff. I'm sure everyone that's watching this saw DeMar Hamlin and yeah. what happened with him. Well, the reason why you had credentialed medical staff at that game that were able to like operate and handle that situation yeah. as quickly as they were was because the NFL Players Association pushed to make sure that there was a standard of care uh, every NFL game that allowed for those people to be in place to jump on that situation as soon as possible. So since 1957, instead of what it was before where a player had to negotiate against his owner individually, we found more strength in collective bargaining for the players to make sure that we were able to protect their rights and also that they were able to be safer. That's awesome. And Joe, you know, because I, I, I've worked with a lot of different teams and, like, you know, met tons of different guys in, in this space. And I, I know one position that always, like, sticks out to me is, like, the player development director or the yeah. player development coordinator. And, you know, I talk to some of them, I'm like, what is it that you do? Like, and what they tell me, it's like the gamma of like the most minuscule, like getting people checked into a hotel to crisis intervention to whatever. Um, how much of that is, is the NFLPA involved in? Is there things that you guys coordinate? Because I know each team runs like its own little governing body. Um, but is there like guidelines or things that you guys um, say, like, oh, you guys have to focus on these or make sure these things are straight up? Are those people like your allies? They're like, how does that work? So it's a it's a team effort, right? So player development is something that both sides of the equation, the ownership and the players association care about a lot. And you're right. A lot of people don't remember or realize that most of these guys coming into the NFL are college students one week and then they're professional athletes the next with very little transition in between. So they need those basic life skills and the player development folks at each and every team along with a player development um, organization at the National Football League and the NFLPA come up with not only a program that they can use, but also additional resources that they can tailor to each of the individual team's needs, right? So one team might need something that another team won't. Everything from financial literacy to life skills to all these things that happen off the field that you will encounter as a player and as, as a man, as a father, those are the skills that we bring to those players over the course of their NFL career, or at least make access to so that they can get those things themselves. Yeah, that's awesome. And Joe, thinking about like life skills, right? I think like you just said, these guys come from uh, uh, colleges and the, the transitions, you know, lickety split, if you will. Um, how much or how, how big does a, a identity and race play into that? Like, because I'm thinking about life skills, there's a certain way you have to approach certain people, right? And you have to be very well versed in different cultures to understand how different things are going to land. So how does DEI factor into that? How do you take into account race relations into that? Right. So 
diversity helps everything be better, right? Like when you mix the ingredients together, the, the, the cake tastes better than it is if you had like a spoonful of flour in your mouth and an egg in your mouth that was wrong. It sounds gross. Exactly, it sounds gross. So figuring out how the diversity of the ingredients will make the actual outcome better is something that we also have to think through. But then all of these guys are coming from different backgrounds. They grew up in different places. Some of these folks may have never had an interaction with the big city or with the big sport uh, entity that they're now a member of. Making sure that we can onboard them into understanding like the nuances of those differences and where they've come from and how they can now become a part of a bigger thing, a team that could end up here at the Super Bowl yeah. trying to win a championship yeah. is something that's hugely important. And Jonathan Bean, who's the chief diversity officer at the NFL, cascades down a program um, that helps each of the teams, some of whom have their own chief diversity officer, yeah. make sure that that message is cascaded throughout the entire organization. So the work that I do now, after I left the NFL Players Association, I became the head of executive strategy for this tech company, this small startup. Company. Let's go. Get them um, coins, Joe. Well, it, Amazon. <laughs> so, <laughs> Why are you trying it? Because <laughs> it's always day one. Right. right. So now working with the DEI team, the global DEI team at Amazon, um, we are also thinking through that same thing, not just for sport, which is some of the stuff I did while I was at the NFLPA, but now for the world, right? We have 1.5 million employees around the world. We have uh, not only locations where we're dropping packages off, probably at your house, probably at your house. They always miss my house, bro. All the time. So we need to make sure like, we understand how these things interact. And now that Amazon's also in the world of football yeah. with our prime yeah. Thursday night mm -hmm. offerings, um, we want to make sure that the diversity that we see on the football field is also diversity that's reflected in Amazon throughout our organization as well. And Joe, why does representation matter? Like you just said, uh, you want that to be parallel, right? The field, people look one way. We need the people in the back. We're promoting them, encouraging them to also kind of mirror that. Why is it, you know, you have a lot of people be like, well, why does it matter? You know, why do we need to amplify having, you know, black and brown folks in these spaces? Why do you think that makes a difference? Well, empathy is something that's really important, right? Like I took a quiz earlier and did all right on it. Um, but a lot of people don't understand how great this game is because of the diversity that was baked into it, right? Like Fritz Pollard, who was the first African-American coach and player in the National Football League, is one great stopping point. But just the other day, we had the Jim Thorpe Awards, which is the top award for college quarterbacks in the college ranks. Well, Jim Thorpe was also the first president of the NFL when it was back at, known as the American Football uh, Professional Football Association, right? And Jim Thorpe, a Native American, being the first president of what became the NFL is a story that I think should be celebrated more. And the reason why we're here is because how great of an athlete a Native American Jim Thorpe was. He encouraged the other owners to come together and put this NFL thing into the thing that we see today here in the NFL experience and here during Super Bowl week. So how can you then take the diversity out of something right. that was built into it from its very birth? Right, 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 right. no, fascinating. I think, I mean, if, you, if you're trying to vie for a contractor role to help us add more moments to our road to progress, you are hired. <laughs> I got a couple of questions we'll answer. I appreciate it. Um, no, I mean, and, and to stick to that point, right, I think uh, another thing is, you know, you said empathy, but I think also trust, right? Because if I'm in this space, I'm new in this space, and if I see someone that looks like me, I don't know, I walk into a space, I see a black woman or a Latina woman, I breathe a little easier. Yeah. My chest kind of loosens up. Yeah. And I assume, right or wrong, that I'm gonna be taken care of. Right. Because 
these people see me, they know me. Um, they probably have similar experiences to me. So, you know. That, that last point is the real point. Even if they don't know you, even if they've never met you, you can almost guarantee that they've had some similar experiences to you because of the systems that we've all had to live in, right? And helping people understand the importance of that piece is really key to making sure diversity works and, and works well. A lot of people don't realize like some of the struggles their fellow employees are having because they aren't from the same background. But if you walk in a room and you see a black person, nine times out of 10, you'll have a certain assumption about like, how they feel about interactions at work, how they feel about a systematic thing that's been uh, floating in the background. All of those things help you have a common frame of reference for the person that you're about to talk to. And those are key things for everyone to understand, the common frame of reference. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, hearing you talk and, and again, going back to the point of representation, um, I also think community, right? Um, because when you hire people, you know, who look like the people that are on the field, you're also building a community. You're bringing those people on. You know, you see, you see a black guy in the hallway. You know, you immediately go up to dab him. Like, you know, you're that's my tribe, right? How important is it to focus on community building within sports, right? Like, you guys, there's a locker room, so it's always like the locker room brutality. We're already a team or whatnot. But how is it? How, why is it so important to like really build community? Because even in individual sports, especially for a sport like football, it's all about the team, right? Like it, it doesn't matter if you got all the individual accolades in the world, the team loses, I lost too, right? Yeah. Even when you're an individual athlete, it's you and your coach, you are a team. It's you and the person who's helping you get from competition to competition, you are a team. Understanding the team environment is a huge part of the community building that happens around sport. And then you see how the community extends, right? Like you're looking around. If you were to look around, I know the camera's looking at us, but if you if the camera were to pan around, you'd see how many people have on jerseys, yeah. have on t-shirts, because they've chosen to be a part of a community with the people, with the teams that they yeah. love, that they enjoy. And they found other people who also share in that community, that common frame of reference that helps them break down that barrier, yeah. the same barrier that made you feel comfortable enough to try to adapt somebody up the right. first time you saw Right, right, no, no, exactly. And Joe, why do you think it's important to maybe support and empower athletes to go back into their communities, right? And uplift those communities that they kind of like moved on from as they went into the professional athletic space. Well, so the, the key to it is understanding that they never really moved on from it, right? Like maybe um, they left their community so that they can go get pieces of information, pieces of knowledge that they then help use to build themselves up. Yep. And now because that community that, that built them, that fed them, that made them who they are, it's still in them, yeah. right? Yes. I'm gonna always be from Polk County. Right, Florida. Right, always, right, right, right. Shout right. out to A City. <laughs> I, I'm always gonna be from Polk County, Florida. Yeah. I've physically gone to Texas and played yeah. football. I've physically been in Washington, D.C. as a lawyer, but I'm always yeah. gonna be from Polk County, Florida, 813-863-9.1, right? All, always. That's, that's all the area codes. That's all the area codes. All of them. I grew up an 813 guy. They changed it to 941. Now it's 863. It's all good. We yeah, represent yeah, all yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Joe, why do you think it's important to have companies like Rise um, that not only, you know, highlight uh, the importance of sports in, in unifying people, but also give athletes um, and teams a platform to kind of build that community that we're talking about? use their voice to empower the communities that they keep carrying around with them and then show leadership off the field. Let me tell you the key importance to rise for me and, and the concept of rise to win 
is that you get an entry point for everyone who needs one, right? I want you to be a champion for change in your community, but maybe you don't know how, right? Maybe you've never been educated on how, maybe you don't have all of the tools that you need to be the true champion that you want to be. And I think an organization like Rise, not only providing those tools, but providing toolkits and an entryway into that education and the opportunity to be yourself on a higher level, to, to find your superpower and how you can help be a community change agent. I think that that's one of the key components of Rise that's most important to me and why I got up really early this morning to come down here and do this interview with you. Joe, I really appreciate you. This has been a really educational interview. I mean, I'm learning a lot and I work in this. I, I want to like, you know, kind of learn as much as I can about what people are going through, all the intricacies, because I think that helps us also uplift people even, you know, in a more genuine and, and impactful way. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks. So we just heard Joe Briggs dropping all the gems, Gwen, and I'm really excited for the next pair. It's Paul Tagibu, former NFL commissioner, and Ryan Mundy, uh, who's an all-around all-star player, uh, former player, but doing really big things in the league right now when it comes to mental health. Absolutely. Right. And I love this interview because we know that mental health is mental wealth, especially during Black History Month. We know about black trauma in these communities, and it's so important for these icons to be talking about this and just teaching us how to accept other people's perspectives and everything that they've gone through. Exactly, one. So without further ado, here's Ryan Mundy and Commissioner Paul Tagliabue. Hey, what's going on? My name is Ryan Mundy, former NFL athlete. I played eight years in the NFL, five in Pittsburgh. One in New York with the Giants and two at the Bears. And I am currently founder and CEO of Alchemy Health, which is a mental health and wellness startup focused on the black community. And a man who does not need an introduction, but I'm going to make you do it anyways, Paul. I'm Paul Tagliabue. I was the commissioner of the NFL from 1989 to 2006. And I was so proud to have players like Ryan in the league. I'm so proud to be part of Rise now. I've been chair, chair of the board of Rise for five years and uh, very supportive of the programs that's doing with the kids and young people, especially in their own communities. And as you guys know, RISE is a national nonprofit that uses sports to promote and amplify social justice issues, combat racism, and improve race relations. Ryan, as an athlete, former athlete, I love to give people a platform to talk about what they're passionate about um, and why, you know, doing stuff like this is important in our communities. Yeah, you know, it's... um. I pay it forward. You know, when I was, I started playing football when I was seven years old and I had a community around me and I had leadership around me and I had people who cared about my health, my well-being, and my development. And so like when you have that nurturing at a very, very young age, that's in my DNA. And so now that I'm able to start giving back, I have two young daughters of my own, I have nephews, cousins, so on and so forth. It's about supporting the next generation. So that's what, excuse me, that's what really drives me. And Paul, um as a uh, chair or board member at RISE and the work that you've done as commissioner NFL, why is community so important and specifically building community amongst people of different backgrounds? Well, it's a little bit of what Ryan said. Uh, you know, we have different backgrounds, but we have common interests and we have common values. Sometimes we put too much emphasis on the differences and not enough emphasis on the, what we have in common. So sports is a way of bringing people together on the basis of merit and talent and passion and commitment. And race should become irrelevant. You know, we win together. That's important on the football field. Ryan knows that from Mike Tomlin. And Ryan now can make that point with people in Chicago and other cities where he's working. 
we win together, we lose when, we, when we're divided. Right, exactly. And you know, you guys both touched upon the importance of community, but how do we build that community? Ryan, you're in the locker room, you're meeting guys from all over the country. How do you engage in perspective taking to build that community in the locker room, you know, on and off the field? It's just like the commissioner said, finding that commonality, right? Like we're a lot more, we have a lot more in common than we think, right? And so finding that common grounds, finding that shared bond, and as mentioned, like sport, it brings people together, and particularly in the locker room where guys are coming from all different backgrounds, different walks of life, socioeconomic status, status, et cetera. But when you get on up, when you get out on the field, that's like the great neutralizer, right? Like you come together to accomplish that shared goal. And you put the work in day in and day out over a long period of time. And it's very fulfilling and very rewarding to go through that. And that's why the brotherhood of the NFL is so very strong. I mean, you guys are putting up a pretty picture, but Paul, I'm pretty sure it's a lot harder than what it sounds. How do you push people across the aisle who might not see either eye to you, who might not say, hey, I'm not gonna focus on these diversity initiatives or this is not that important. We need to focus on the win or the game. What would you say to them, Paul, and how have you managed that throughout your career? Well, I think that uh, a big part of it is sitting like we're doing here and looking the other person in the eye. And, and, and then you'll find out how much you have in common. I know with the Rams, for example, they had sessions between players from inner city schools and players from suburban schools. But when they started talking, they said, my uncle's a policeman, his uncle's a policeman. So now we have a commonality besides race. Our uncle's a policeman, or they fought in Iraq or Afghanistan, or they're both school teachers, or, or whatever it might be. They have a lot in common. And when you finish those kinds of programs, whether it's LA, Chicago, you know, Detroit, people understand each other better. It may take a little time to sink in, Right. It's also an expression someone gave to me recently. Keep in mind, just remember, the other person might be right. right. Just remember, the right. other person might be right. right. So, might be right. so open up yeah. your mind to that person's point of view. That's important. Yeah. And, and, and the coaching, that's important. You know, if someone, the wide receiver wants the ball all the time, but the tight end has to get the ball sometimes. So each person is right, but they got to work together until one plus one is three or five, not two. Right, right, right. And, you know, you guys are talking about right building community, the importance of seeing others' perspectives. Um, Ryan, I know you're very passionate about mental health. How important is it to also, you know, see the other person and create spaces of belonging and talk about, you know, mental health and the impact some of these, you know, kind of frictions and challenges have on players? Yeah, it's very important, right? Like, you never know what someone's going through. Uh, we all have our personal struggles, our battles, and particularly over the last few years, right? Like it's really started to show up. And so like you always have to lead with like kindness. You always have to lead with a level of empathy and understanding because people are going through a lot right now, right? And I think that as we continue to move forward, as we continue to have conversations, as we continue to look one another in the eye, again, find that shared bond and understanding that like, you know, it's me too. I'm going through, I'm going through some things as well. You are as well. Like, let's cut it, right? right? Like, let's find that common ground. Let's come together. And and again, talking about like being right, that's not the way. Like, we should be in it to get right, get it right, not be right, right? So removing ego, making sure that we're understanding and so that we can get on the same ground and we can move forward together. What are we doing? What, you know, what do we commit to moving forward? You know, what is Ryan Mundy doing moving forward? to continue to give back, make a difference in the mental health space and in other spaces for athletes and the larger community. Yeah, I started my company, right? Like my company, Alchemy Health, was born out of my experience uh, when, I, when I was dealing with my own mental health issues. 
uh, when I retired from the NFL, I was going through anxiety, depression, and identity issues, just trying to figure out who and what I was. I mentioned I started playing football at the age of seven, and I did not stop until I was 31. And so every year, my schedule, yeah, my schedule was planned for me. Who am I exactly? Right. And so at the age of 31, I had to figure that out. And in that moment, I realized that albeit money is very important, it doesn't solve all your problems. And I think that's one thing about particularly athletes. They look uh, from the outside looking in. You could say like, "Oh, you have money, you have fame, you have celebrity. You should everything should be okay." But I know from firsthand experience that is not the truth. And so again, that's why I started my company uh, to really start to focus and like strip things down, have conversations, and ultimately like build skill, language, tools, and resources. Uh, to support communities uh, of black, the black community. But then also now we started a specific initiative to serve athletes with the Al- Alchemy wow. Athlete Coalition. And so, again, that's the origin story of my company. Right. And so I'm coming back home in a sense to really start to serve the athlete community as well. That's awesome. That's amazing. Paul, why is it so important um, for people like Ryan to come out, see a need in the community and take it upon themselves to be a champion of change, find ways to help others and companies like Rise? to give people that platform to talk about what they're doing um, and help amplify uh, these diverse issues? Well, as I, as I said a little bit earlier, getting to understand people and listening to people and, and being open-minded is really important. So I, I think RISE's ultimate value is to talk to young people and their parents or their uncles or their brothers and say, take that RISE, part of RISE in your community. And I say that to the players and to the coaches in the NFL and the NBA, which is it's not just about NFL, it's all sports. Participate, listen carefully, make sure you understand what the other person's view is, what the other person's issues might be. Put yourself in the other person's shoes and you'll be successful as a leader in all walks of life. Rise can give that opportunity to young people as well as to older people. Yeah. Thank you so much, Paul. Ryan, thank you so much. This was a great interview. Thank you for being champions of change. Um, I look forward to see all the impact that you can have in your community, Ryan. Consider us a partner. We'd love to keep talking to you and yeah. see how we can you know, collaborate. I would love, I would love that. I yeah. Would love that. Awesome. And Paul, we'll see you around. That was such a dope conversation, Gwen. Um, inside story, I didn't get tickets from Paul for the Super Bowl. So <laughs> yes, once you when you become an ex-commissioner, you don't got the juice no more. But right. <laughs> I did appreciate his time. Ryan made the GOAT. Really great conversation. And then last but not least, we have actually one of my favorite interviews that I've done, Gwen. Sheldon Day, who's just a rock star, current player for the Vikings, um, amateur rapper. (laughs) (laughs) Sheldon was so fun. He was so fun. And, you know, I just love seeing guys turn their passions um, into careers, right? He's um, started a company um, with a couple guys, you know, really talking about how to support players, how to make an impact. Um, I won't take, you know, all the all the things that he dropped from y'all. I want y'all to listen to the interview, but really dope, really inspiring. Would love to hear what you guys think in the comments. Again, rise to win, R-I-S-E-T-O-W-I-N. Or hit my girl, Gwen, on her comments. Miss Barry throws. Hit me up, as Garland says. And let's continue the conversation. But in the yeah. meantime, let's listen to my boy Sheldon Day. I'm here with Sheldon. <laughs> Sheldon, introduce yourself um, to the people. What's going on? So everybody, I'm Sheldon Day. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. Tap in that town, 317, putting y'all on the map. I play for the Minnesota Vikings going in my eighth year, play defensive tackle. 
Let's go. Also, no one's going to Indianapolis, so never mind. <laughs> so, so that's that's how we start now. Okay, I see what type of time we on. Okay, okay. Okay, right. so clearly you're very passionate about where you're from, yeah. right? Yeah. Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh-huh. I've never been. What y'all do over there? Like, what? That was not the question. The question is, how did you grow up? How did you get into the sport? Um. And how did how does your identity as a black man like impact, yeah. you know, your position, what you did, how you were treated, perhaps? Uh, so I'm the youngest of nine. My my brothers played football, so I had three brothers that played collegiate football. Uh, so football was kind of my only option, essentially. Like, it's either you go rap or you go play sports. And where I'm from, like I ain't I wasn't a rapper. I, I got I got some clothes. Let me let me hear real quick. Okay, okay. Improv, okay. Uh, let me get the beat in my head. We going. Uh, uh, uh. Say my name is Sheldon Day, and I'm from the three. Call me Sheldon Day, and I'm from the three. We going crazy, putting on for the city. My name is Sheldon Day, and I don't play. I go crazy on the field. Call me Rocky. Bow. See, like stuff like that. Oh, sign this man. All right, sign this man. Rock Nation. Jay, you watching? Stop playing. Listen. I'm really a QC type of guy, though. You feel me? Shout out to my boy P. Come on, man. QC, son. You know that they, they just sold their company to uh, Scooter. Yeah. Scooter Vaughn. Yeah. Business mind. Come on. Hey, yeah. QC, even more of a reason. Tap in. That's not what we're here for, oh, yeah, Sheldon. This is about okay. equity and inclusion, all right? Okay. Okay. That's my bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Indianapolis, tell us about your upbringing. How did you get into the sport? Yeah. And how does your identity impact you know, your journey. Yeah, so youngest and nine, uh, have three brothers play football, kind of molded me to really at least attempt to play the sport. I, I love basketball growing up, so if I was about four or five inches taller, I probably would play basketball, but because I'm not as tall as everybody else, right. I stuck with the football route, and that just kind of helped me uh, get some, some key principles about hard work, time management, just the normal things that football does for an athlete, but I think it put me on a pedestal that I wasn't really ready for. So coming from uh, a impoverished community and being able to kind of change my life to travel, I, I took my first plane because of football. I think if I had never played ball, probably wouldn't have took a plane until I was probably in my 20s or 30s. So just little things like that, which really helped open up my world. But uh, the pedestal I was put on, just the expectations, and now I'm the, the leader of my family because I play football. Wow. Little things like that that I wasn't ready for as a 16-year-old kid, now I'm looked at as a man. So essentially, you know, I'm hearing you talk, sports gave you access. Yeah. It was like the passport to the rest of the world, what's outside of Indianapolis. Why is it so important, especially in our communities of color, to provide access, to be able to show kids what's outside, you know, of, of that block or, the, yeah. you know, your street or, or your corner or whatever? I think Jay-Z kind of said it the best. He's talking about people fighting over a place where your mom or your dad is renting, and now we don't understand that it's more to that world. It's like they put you in a box and you stay in that box because you're comfortable. So how do you really get out your, your comfortableness and really go expand so you can go to Tokyo? I ain't never had no dream to go to Tokyo when I was 10, 11, 12. Right. But now that I ain't played football, I ain't played football in Ireland. Like how many people wow. can say that? I ain't played football in England. So little things like that where it's like, it's more to this world than your, uh, from 21st to 22nd Street, from Dr. Martin Luther King to Washington Street. Little things like that. So it's. Like how do we get out of that box and know that the world is bigger and now we can really take advantage of the opportunities that are out there for us? Speaking of that, how, Sheldon, how can athletes help support their communities, yeah. be those windows or those doors, you know, broaden their horizons? What can people like you, right, yeah. 
um, who've been in the league for a minute use their platform to kind of kind of make that change. Like you know that that's what's up. Like we need to get these kids outside. So how can you use your platform to do that and encourage your other teammates, people that you know, the league, to also go back into the communities and reinvest in them? I say that's that's what we should be doing. Like uh, somebody helped us out, so why not help the next person out? So me coming up, I had a high school coach who believed in me, who showed me like, hey, you can do this. Like go push yourself, go reach that limit that you've never been able to reach before. So I have a foundation called Sheldon's Daylight Camp where I take kids fourth through the sixth grade, I take them to the University of Notre Dame and show them what college is like. And they don't even know that's in their backyard. So really trying to show them like college is obtainable and then that it is obtainable. Now you can go and succeed at life. You can go be a doctor, you can go be a lawyer. You don't have to play sports. It's more than life than just rapping or sports. And it's, that's, I mean, that's amazing. Congrats on the foundation. Um, do you think like when you guys get into the NFL, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure you do like, you know, financial training, like don't spend your coins on chains or whatever. Do you think there's more resources or things that can be done to kind of show guys like, hey, these are the community impact things that you can be doing. These are the different organizations out there in your city, your town, um, you know, that that are worth like getting involved in. Do you or do you guys or do you think guys, you know, kind of figure it out themselves or do you think that'd be worth spending more, you know, kind of resources and energy on? Uh, I definitely believe so. So it's going to be like a little selfish plug. I started the, the players company for that reason. Like uh, us players, I feel like we have a lot of resources, but we don't know how to connect those resources and have a true general spot. So that's what I'm trying to create here at the players company and really trying to make sure that everybody knows like you're one email away, you're one text away, you're one this away. So really start to understand the power that they have when it comes to social capital and really trying to help them grow their brand and grow their knowledge, whatever they want to do after the sport, while they're playing, anything like that. No, facts. I mean, I think with Rise, I think that's that's kind of where we're, where we're at, too. Like, we're a national nonprofit that uses sports to fight racism and promote social justice issues. And then also partner with athletes and teams, right, um, to kind of get the word out, amplify the issues, and, and make deep impacts. Why do you think it's so important to create companies like this, partner with companies like Rise, um, to be able to use sports because it's an ultimate unifier, right, um, to make a change in the community? Well, to be honest, you can't you can't change the world yourself. You need a you need a team. You need a group of individuals who have the same passion as you, the same beliefs as you, to really create true change. So I was raised on the village. It takes a village to raise a child. So how many villages do we need to raise a lot of children? So how do we create a community that's really poor into the community for these kids and for the future generations? So I definitely believe companies like Rise, companies like the Players Company, need to come together to make sure that we create everlasting change. Thanks, Sheldon. Last question, what are you going to do? I mean, you're already doing a lot. You rap, apparently. Um, you have your company. Yeah. What are you going to do to continue to be a champion of change, um, you know, and improve your community? Uh, and what do you encourage others to do with their platform and their voices? Well, hopefully my ultimate goal is to be able to give 50 kids a scholarship, like full-ride scholarships a year. So really trying to tap into, yeah, it's a college. Wow. So really trying to tap into government grants and things like that and really start to have people understand the resources out there. And then what I hope to personally do is really start to get everybody to understand, give back to your community because somebody in your community poured into you. Why not pour back into that community and watch it flourish and watch it thrive? So really want to challenge every NFL player, every NBA player, MLB, any professional sports player. Come on, tap into your community. Somebody helped you. Come on now. Let's go. Get it. Sheldon, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you all here. I hope that we can connect and continue to make um, change in the community. Um, you know, just, just drop one more bar out there for the folks. Uh, uh.
we walking. We're, oh, I said we walking. Hold on, let me, oh, let me Okay, that's all, all right. Cut it, cut it off. All right, and that wraps up our part one of our Black History Month Super Bowl podcast series. Gwen, what was your favorite one? I'm going to put you on the spot. You know what? My favorite one had to be Sheldon, of course. Like, how he talked about providing access, what does success look like, and why is it on us, you know, professional athletes, you know, players, to take the lead? I mean, it's important. And Super facts. I mean, you're more bold than I am. I can't pick a favorite. I think these fellas really showed up and showed out. Um, there really are, you know, beacons in our community, their roles, you know, to follow, uh, their people to emulate. And I'm excited for other players to hear their stories and how they're making an impact in the community. I'm excited for fans to hear their stories. Um, and I'm excited, you know, for other people in the sports community, um, alike to hear what they have to say. You know, I love this platform. I love being able to talk to athletes and show all the different sides that they have and that, you know, they're not just going to shut up and dribble or throw or pass or whatever or tackle. Right. They're gonna come in these communities, they're going to make dents and they're, they're creating black history right now as we speak. Right. And I love that rise gets to be a part of that amplify support and empower. Thank you guys. And uh, check out part two of our champions of change podcast, super bowl series. Um, that will be up in all the places you can find podcasts, Odyssey, Apple, Spotify. I don't know, Gwen, what's up? Apple Music. So there you go, Gwen. All right, y'all. <laughs> As always, I'm your girl, Starlin Martinez, Senior Director of Rise. I'm your girl, Gwen, Athlete Representative of Rise. And until next time, guys. We love to see you. <laughs>